Good evening. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Haggai chapter 1? I think I've said this every time I've preached on the Sunday night service, that in my preparation, uh, I've just so enjoyed studying these books of the Bible. And every time I, I, I study the book, and, and, and admitted, admittedly, preaching on a whole book of the Bible is one of the more difficult ways to prepare a sermon. Uh, and, and yet in that preparation, uh, I've always found it to be so fulfilling uh, and such an encouragement to, to, to read and, and grow an understanding of, of Scripture. And I hope that, that you all feel the same way uh, listening to these sermons. The book of Haggai is one of the minor prophets that's written in the post-exile time. So this is after the Israelites have been in exile from Babylon and they have returned back to Jerusalem. So they've, they've come out of exile and back into Jerusalem. And they've begun to rebuild the temple, but, but that rebuilding has, has paused. And so Haggai is writing to the people of Israel who have just recently returned to their home. They've come out of exile and they've come back to Jerusalem. And the book of Haggai is a collection of four distinct prophecies that are given over the course of four months. So it's four distinct prophecies given in over, four month, over a four-month period. And Haggai is encouraging the people towards obedience. He is disciplining them towards obedience. And he is calling them to consider their ways. The book of Haggai is a book all about godly obedience and what does it mean to have godly obedience. So the first, the very first prophecy or the very first, um, the very first uh, speech that Haggai gives is the command to rebuild the temple. It's the command to rebuild the temple. And, we, and what we read, and we're going to read over again, uh, from, from the call to worship is the first seven verses. This is how the, the book of Haggai begins. It says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns his wage does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. See, Haggai is admonishing the people to, he's telling the people to consider their actions. And specifically what he's writing about is, he's writing to a people who have, have missed the godly priorities. Their, their priorities are, are all out of whack. 
They have come back to Jerusalem and they've begun to rebuild these, these lavish houses for themselves. They've begun to rebuild their own dwelling places and build their own cities and build a, re, trying to rebuild the power of Jerusalem. But they're saying that it is not time to rebuild the temple of God. And so what Haggai is, is writing about and writing towards is the order of priorities of the people in Jerusalem. Their order of priorities, they have missed the most important thing. The most important thing in returning to Jerusalem is to establish the place to worship God. That's what Haggai is writing about in in Haggai chapter 1. But the people have missed it. Their priorities are are off. They've instead prioritized their their own wealth and and their own power and their their own rule. And they've, they've missed the most important thing about the house of God. So I think back to a, a story in my own life. Um, in the youth group that, that I grew up in, we, we just kind of talked about the, the youth group here, and I think we have such a good youth group. Uh, we have great leaders, and the students are, uh, are, are great. I got to spend some time with them during the D-Now, and just see the leaders and how they lead. But my youth group was very different from the youth group here. And my youth group also did some things really well. And one thing my youth group did really, really well was get, get kids from all over and all different schools and different sports teams. I mean, my youth group was huge. And one thing my youth group didn't do well was supervise. And so if you have spent any time with teenagers, you might be you know, figuring out some of the problems that could come from having like roughly 200 middle school and high school students and roughly six adults. This was a problem. And I remember one specific Wednesday night, and it would get rowdy at times. And I remember one specific Wednesday night, and I think I was in seventh grade, and there was a group of, of high schoolers. I think they were probably freshmen. And there's there kind of two, two friend groups or two, two cliques, and they started arguing with each other out on the basketball court. And that, that argument really started to, to, to escalate, and they started kind of pushing and shoving. And one guy, big guy, he comes in and says, hey, y'all cut this out. This is the house of God. We don't fight in the house of God. I'm thinking, okay, that sounds great. He says, we're going to go over to Popeye's and fight in the Popeye's parking lot because nobody cares how we act over there. And I'm thinking, wait a second, (laughs) wait a second. You might've missed the point. You might've missed the point about the importance of God's house. And you might have missed the, the, the point of how, of how God's people are supposed to act. And I'm sure the youth pastor was, was probably happy that, that if there's a fight taking place, at least it, you know, it's not on church campus. But still, they, he, he stood up and he had such a good start, saying this is the house of God, and we don't fight in the house of God. And it sounded so good, and everyone stopped and listened. And then he came up with the, the worst follow-up I've ever heard, which was, yeah, let's go fight in the Popeye's parking lot instead. And he missed the point, missed the point about what, what the house of God is, what, what it means to, 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 to respect and, and honor God with our actions. Totally missed the point. And I think in, in, in Haggai, that's what's happening with the people of Jerusalem, is that they have totally missed the main point. They have totally missed the main point about what the temple is and what it means to rebuild the temple. And why is it important to, to, to rebuild the temple? 
And see, Haggai is a book that talks not just about godly obedience, but the reason behind godly obedience, the heart behind obedience. It's, Haggai is a book about rebuilding the temple, but not just for the sake of having a structure, for the sake of honoring God with our word, with our deed, with our praise, with our lives. And Haggai is going, you're going to see Haggai in these, in these, four, in these four sections of the book. Speak out against the people of Jerusalem four distinct times. And it all has to do with their obedience and their priorities and the order of their priorities. And so that first section, that's the, the, the main point, which the main point of the first section of Haggai is that they have totally misordered their priorities. From the get-go, they've misordered their priorities. When they came back, they weren't concerned about creating and re rebuilding the dwelling place of the Lord. They weren't concerned with rebuilding the temple. They were concerned with building their own power and their own wealth, the power and strength of, of their own city. And then we see the second section. The second section is a, a, a little bit more, more positive than, than the first and the third. But in the second section, the people have actually started to, to rebuild the temple. They've, they've resumed rebuilding the temple. And Haggai comes in, this is two months later, two months after, after uh, that, that first speech that he gives on the command to, to rebuild the temple. He comes back two months later and checks in on the work and checks in on the people. And see, the people are discouraged because they've begun rebuilding Jerusalem. They've, be, re, they've begun rebuilding the temple, but it's not the same as the temple of Solomon. It doesn't, it doesn't even compare to the, to, the, to the wealth and the extravagance of the temple of Solomon. And so the people, they feel like giving up. They consider it not even, not even worth it to continue if, if the temple can't be what it, what it was. And so Haggai comes back, and this is, this is what he finds. And he encourages the people to continue obeying the Lord in, in the midst of opposition and in the midst of discouragement. So in the midst of their discouragement, feeling like, I, you know, the temple that we're rebuilding will never be as good as the temple that, that Solomon built. So is it even, is it even worth you know, obeying is even worth following through uh, with, with this project. And, and Haggai encourages them. He encourages them in the face of discouragement to continue to obey. And, and I think, when I think of, of, of this section, one, one thing that really sticks out to me, or one thing that really comes to my mind, is, um, is the men that I, I, I work with. And, and for those of you who don't know, I'm the I'm the director of our men's recovery program at, at ReCenter Ministries. And so I work with guys coming out of homelessness and out of addiction uh, and working through a 90-day to, to 15-month program where, where men come in and it's, it's geared on um, the, the gospel, it's geared on discipleship, and it's geared on addiction recovery. And one thing I see so often, and this might be an extreme example, but I think it, I think it relates to, to everyone. But one thing I see so often with, with men coming out of addiction is they hit about the 60-day mark. They get their 60-day chip, they have 60 days clean, no drugs, no alcohol for 60 days, and they start to take an honest look at their life. 
They've regained some strength. They've regained some clarity of mind. And they look at their life and they start to think, wow, I have destroyed so much in my life. I'll never regain all of the things that I've lost. And that discouragement and despair, and Satan uses that to tell him, well, just quit. Just throw in, throw in the towel. Just give up. And I think that's, to some extent, probably what the people of Jerusalem are feeling after, after they've begun rebuilding the temple. They have this nostalgia for, for the time of, of Solomon and, and, the, and the rule of Solomon when, when the temple was this, this great masterpiece. And now what they're rebuilding is, is just a shadow of that. And they think, well, you know, what's been taken from us? What's been destroyed? We'll never regain that. So we should, just, we should just give up. We should just quit obeying because we'll never regain what was taken and what was lost. And what Haggai says is obedience in, in, the, faith, in the face of discouragement. Verse 13, 113 says, Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheitel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of all, the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts to their God. And see, Haggai is saying, the Lord is with you and the Lord is with your work. And when you obey the Lord and when you follow the Lord, there is a blessing that comes from that. And there is an assurance that God is with you and God honors obedience even when you don't see the results, even when you're not seeing the results, God is honoring your obedience. And that's so true for all of us. There's so many times in our lives, we, we, we don't necessarily see the, the, the results of, of our obedience. And maybe it's not as extreme as, as, as drug addiction, but in anything, in anything, obedience to the Lord the Lord honors obedience to the Lord, and, and the Lord blesses obedience. And that obedience is never in vain. And that's what Haggai is, is encouraging the people, that, that, hey, obedience to God is never in vain. And then we get to the third, the third section. And in the third section, two, this is two months, two months later, Two months later, Haggai comes back and he checks back in on, on the, the temple. He checks back in on the progress of the people. But now he finds, well, they've gone from discouraged to now prideful. See, the people all, are all over the place. They've gone from discouraged to prideful. Just like that. They've begun to, to take pride not in, not in the Lord and not what, not what they're doing for the honor and glory of God, but in the, in, in the honor and glory of themselves. And they've become a prideful people. See, Haggai gives this, this parable in chapter 2, verses 12 uh, through, through 14, where he says, he, he asks the, the, the priests, he asks the high priest, he says, if someone, if someone who is unclean, someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body 
touches the food that is to be served, does that food become unclean? And this seems like a, like a pretty obvious answer, right? Even if we're just for us, aren't necessarily following Levitical law. If somebody's just been handling a dead body and then he comes over and prepares your steak, like I'm probably gonna pass. I'll probably, I'll probably say no. But, but in Levitical law, which the priest would be very familiar with, that's, that is unclean, right? The, it is unclean by association because it has been touched by, by someone uh, who is unclean, because it's been served by someone who is unclean. The thing that is being served is unclean. And the priests say, yes, that is correct. That is a correct understanding of the law. And what Haggai does is he then takes that and says, okay, then this temple that, you are be- that is being built, this temple that's being built with an unpure heart, with an impure heart, with an unholy attitude, is defiled because of the people and the hearts of the people who are creating it and building it. And it's interesting when you look at, look at Haggai and the, the, the movements within the book of Haggai. It's like, one, the, the, the people are, are all over the place, and they're constantly missing the, the, the main point. Like, first, they, they missed the point of coming back to Jerusalem. So they came back to Jerusalem and, and only wanted to build their own houses and, and their own wealth. And then Haggai says, well, no, you need to build the temple. There's a command to, to, to build the temple. And the people are like, okay, we're going to do that. And they start, and then they get discouraged, and they get down on themselves. And, and, and Haggai has to come back in again and, and encourage them and, and, and say, hey, obedience is never in vain. The Lord is with you in your obedience. And now the people seem to, it seems like they've got it because the, the building is going strong. The building is continuing. But you know what? They missed the point again because their obedience to what God has commanded through the prophet Haggai, their obedience They've done so with, with prideful, unholy hearts, and they have defiled the very work that God commanded them to do because they've done it with an impure heart and an impure attitude. And I think so often, as Christians, we need to consider our own motivations. We need to consider our own, our own motivations. See, just because somebody says the right things, looks the right way, even even does the right things, doesn't mean that they're doing so out out of a pure heart. See, God is concerned with not just obedience, but the heart behind obedience. And the heart behind the people of Israel and their and their rebuilding the city was, was prideful. And so Haggai, encouraged, Haggai tells them to, to humble themselves. Because of their impure hearts, they have defiled the work that, they, that God has, has tasked them with. And then we get the last ending section of, of, of the book of Haggai. And there's the promise of a new kingdom and a new Jerusalem. It's a promise of a new kingdom and a new Jerusalem. Let's read two verses, verse 
verse 20 through, through the end. It says, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, a governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and their horses. And their riders shall go down, every one by sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will make you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtah, declares the Lord, and make you like a saint ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So the, so, so the Lord is establishing a, a new kingdom. And he is establishing a, a, a new kingdom and a new Jerusalem. And he is reestablishing the, the, the Davidic line, the royal line. And so in exile, what happened to, to, to the line of the kings? Right? The line of the kings was, was broken when the people went into exile. And when they are returned, when they return to Jerusalem, we see that line and the line of the kings being restored. And that line would go all the way to Jesus. And this is the, 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 the restoring of the line of David. And that line connects both in, both in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel, the, the, the accounts of the genealogy. The line that leads straight to Jesus, the, the, the royal lineage. And so there's a, there's a messianic promise here, right? A promise that, that just as the people have, have returned out of exile and, and, and back to, to Jerusalem, well, there's going to be an, a, a day where that's, that's even greater, an even greater day where, where a king will rule and a king will rule forever. And, and, and we know, and we know that that king is, is Jesus, the one who's come from, from the line of David, the one who's come from, from, from the royal lineage, and the one who sits on, on David's throne forever, and that all armies are crushed underneath, all his enemies are crushed and Jesus is the Messiah who comes. And Jesus is the greater temple. The dwelling place of God that is to be established and worshipped. What well, Jesus has come and brought that to earth and to us, to those who believe and follow him. Jesus is the fulfillment of what the temple was intended to be. Jesus is the fulfillment of the messianic line and what that was intended for. Jesus is the fulfillment of, of the royal line. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of a king to sit and rule on David's throne. And so Haggai ends with this, this messianic promise of a day that's coming. A day that's coming where, where the, the, the strength of kingdoms and nations will be overthrown. And all will bow down and worship the Lord. And Jesus has come to fulfill that. I think when we look at Haggai, I think we, we, see, we see two, we see, well really we see, we see three main points. 
that, that we can apply to our own lives. It all has to do with Christian obedience. The first is Christian obedience is a part of how God works in the world. Christian obedience is a part of how God works in the world. See, God is, is, is working in the book of Haggai, God is, God is working through, through the obedience of, of the people of Israel. He's commanding them to obedience, to, to establish his temple through their obedience to his commands. And God works in us as believers. That is a means uh, in which God accomplishes his divine decrees is through godly obedience. And so our obedience is never in vain. When we feel discouraged, when we feel insignificant, we feel like our, our, our lives amount to nothing and our, our lives have no significance. Let us know and let us hold fast to the truth that godly obedience is part of how God works in the world. I think Josh made a really great point this morning when he talked about the, the, the ministries of the church and people are affected. There are people out there who are affected and impacted by the, the ministries at this church. There are families in, in, in Bullitt County, schools in Bullitt County who are affected by, by the things that this church is doing in obedience to the Lord. When we show up, and are obedient, faithful every single day. And we're faithful to God and obedient. God works through that. Christian obedience is part of how God works in the world. The second is Christian obedience is continual, or is called to be continual. And what I mean by that is, is, is when you think back to the second section of, of Haggai where, where the people have, have begun to, to obey and they've begun to build the temple, but then they get discouraged and they, they feel like throwing in the towel and feel like quitting. Well, that's not continual obedience. That's, that's temporary obedience. And that's not really true obedience at all. True, godly Christian obedience is continual obedience. See, we, we live in a world where, where everybody wants everything really quick. We want results really fast. And, and, and the people in Jerusalem, they certainly wanted results really fast. They wanted to start rebuilding the temple, and then boom, it was going to be you know, magnificent and, and rival the, the, the temple of Solomon. But that's not how it works most of the time. Most of the time, true godly obedience looks like showing up and being faithful in the, in the mundane, everyday parts of our lives. It looks like faithfully sharing the gospel uh, with your neighbor over and over and over and over again, and he may never come to church. That's not for us to decide. It's for us to be obedient. And we don't always get to, to pick and choose when we see the results of our obedience. And our obedience should never be motivated by results. It should be motivated by a love and an outpouring of our love for God. And true Christian obedience is continual obedience. And then the last point is Christian obedience should be motivated by humility. Christian obedience should be motivated by humility. See, the people in, in, in Jerusalem, 
when they began rebuilding the temple and, and they began to, to, to make some work and make some groundwork, they, they became prideful. They became prideful in, in their work. They became prideful in, in what they were doing. They took pride in, in themselves. They, became, uh, they, they tried to make a name for themselves, not a name for God. And Haggai says that that work is defiled. Not only does that work not, not matter, but the very work that, that God has called you to, you have defiled by your unclean heart and your unclean motivation. See, true Christian obedience should be motivated not by pride, but by humility. This is when we, when we boast, we should boast in, in, in Christ. When we, when, we are, when we are proud, we should be proud of the work of God, not the work of ourselves. If we're going to be an obedient people, well, true obedience flows from the heart. And that's what God is most concerned with. The Bible says there, there are people who, who honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. And let that not be us. That's not what motivates true godly obedience. See, God isn't concerned about a majestic temple built by the hands of men whose hearts were far from him. God cares about faithful, godly obedience motivated from a heart that loves him, flowing from a heart that loves Christ and is motivated by humility. So when we serve God, when we act in obedience, I never want to sound legalistic talking about obedience. And the way you avoid sounding legalistic talking about obedience is continue to emphasize that obedience should flow from the heart. See, obedience that's disconnected from, from the heart, from a heart that honors God, well, that's just legalism. That's just following laws for the sake of following laws. That's following rules for the sake of following rules. But true godly obedience that comes from a transformed heart is, a, is an obedience and an action that flows from godly humility. And when we build our actions, when we build our lives, when we build our temple in the book of Haggai on an outpouring of a love for God and a care to and the care to do what he says then we establish strong true christian obedience let's not be like the people in israel here who who continually miss the point continually miss the point of obedience continually miss the point of of rebuilding the temple because they're building it off of a false understanding of, of, of obedience and under a false uh, ordering, a wrong ordering of their priorities. But instead, when we build, when we build our life, it should be built on Christ and a love for him. See, oftentimes when, uh, when Josh preaches, he'll send me his sermon notes or his, his passage um, that, that he's going to preach from. And, and I'll, I'll do my best to, to study it and pray through it. And I try to come up with songs that, that, that match and fit uh, maybe some of the main themes that, that he's preaching on. And sometimes, admittedly, that just happens by accident. 
Uh, and I don't want to give myself too much credit. Sometimes it truly just happens by accident that, that wow, that song went perfectly with the sermon, and I just kind of happened that way. Um, and tonight, I think that sort of happened on, on accident, even though I both prepped the sermon and chose the, chose the song. <laughs> it's still by accident or, or the divine working of, of, of God, but, but not, by, not by my intention, but, but thinking to the song we just sang. And that, that third verse, his oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. See, the people in Jerusalem, in the book of Haggai, were building their temple, metaphorically speaking, on, on sinking sand. They were building it from a wrong heart. They were trying to rebuild the power of the city without rebuilding their, the, the love and honor of God. They were trying to, to, to rebuild the temple, but their hearts were, were filled with, with pride and their hearts weren't glorifying God. And that's sinking sand. So when we build our lives, when we order our lives, when we order our pri- the priority of our lives, it needs to be built on Christ, the solid rock we stand. And our obedience comes and flows from that solid rock, the source of truth, the source of all things good. And that's Christ. There's all other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this, this day. God, I thank you for the book of Haggai. I thank you for, for your word and how it, and how it speaks to us. And, and, and even thousands, thousands of years after it's written, it's still so applicable to our lives and to our, to our hearts. God, I pray that we would be a people who, who value godly Christian obedience. But more importantly than that, that our obedience would flow from a heart that loves you and wants to honor and glorify your name, not our own. We pray these things in your name. Amen.